Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital and AstraZeneca. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about addressing disparities in oncology with Dr. Andrea Silber. Dr. Silber is a professor of clinical medicine and medical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. Andrea, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in disparities to begin with. Well, it really started at age 16. If I could predict what I would do in medicine, it would have been disparities. Um, When I was in medical school, you learn how to practice medicine generally from people who may not have the best insurance or at that time certainly didn't have private doctors. And I noticed all sorts of things growing up in New York City about uh, people who didn't have access to the best medical care. When I became interested in oncology, I said, this is what I want to do. I want to see if there are ways to improve healthcare around uh, oncologic diseases and with a special attention to those who traditionally don't receive the best healthcare. So, you know, Andrea, I think this topic is particularly poignant now uh, in the social and political climate that we're currently in, where many of us are becoming even more acutely aware of systemic biases, inequities, disparities that exist. So how much of this difference in access that you talk about, these disparities that you see in medicine, are related to socioeconomic differences? How much of it is intrinsic bias? And how much of it is actual genetic variability? Um, That's a you know, that is the question. I would like to tackle the last point you made first. I think we should stay away from uh, talking about genetics unless that is a special field of someone's interest. So many of the problems that we see may be just due to socioeconomic factors and bias and racism in the healthcare system that had been present for a long time. When you start talking about genetics, you may get into epigenetics or in specific kind of genomic factors. But um, I think the idea that certain tumors in people of color are inherently not able to do well due to genetic differences is a very simplistic way of looking at a very complicated health system that has long provided perhaps suboptimal care. And so, you know, as you think about the kind of wish that you had when you got into medical school and when you got into oncology to address some of these disparities, talk a little bit more about how you envision doing that? Because as you say, it is multifactorial. I, you know, when I got 
interest in this, there wasn't even a term health disparities, but one can see very obvious things. First of all, geographic factors. If people don't live near a good hospital, if they don't live in a place with good transportation system, they are going to be uh, subjected to inadequate care or or less optimal, suboptimal care. So we start out with geography, urban versus rural. Um, both groups have problems where poor people in urban areas and poor people in rural areas will not get the same care. Uh, this may be a transportation issue. This may be an exposures issue. Um, both those things will affect uh, cancer care. Cancer care has to be delivered in a timely fashion with experienced healthcare providers um, in order to work smoothly. And those are the kinds of things I thought about. Now, why can we not have healthcare delivered to the communities that are most burdened by cancer? Um, poor outcomes. That's a health systems delivery issue. So those are some of the things, but it also starts out with the kind of care that people receive at very young ages. For example, if you have poor dental care or you have diabetes, when your cancer is diagnosed and starts uh, start the treatment, you're going to perhaps not have the same dose delivery of chemotherapy due to increased infections. Well, these things start out when people are children. Dental care and um, obesity, which can predispose to cancer, also predispose to diabetes. These things really start out with pediatric care. So, you know, there's a lot to unpack there, but let's start with the geographic differences. One of the things that struck me as you were talking about geography or urban versus rural is that when people think, generally speaking, about disparities, we often think about racial and ethnic disparities. But here you're really talking about geographic disparities that cut across um, racial and ethnic boundaries. Is that right? That's true. I mean, both things exist. I would never say there are not racial and ethnic disparities. But for example, people in, uh, who have cancer in Appalachia have worse outcomes, even though we're talking about mainly poor whites. So it's not only ethnic, it's not only racial. But when you talk about Hispanics, you may have language differences. You may have poor insurance coverage um, that really explains a lot of the disparities that we see. For example, in Hispanics in the United States, they may have a lower incidence of some cancers than other populations due to probably better diet. But if they don't have insurance, if they don't have access to um, instructions in their native language, they're going to have disparities on the other end. So um, it really is a multi-tiered problem, and it can cut across 
racial and ethnic uh, groups. And so when we think about those geographic disparities, just to kind of dig into that particular bucket to begin with, you know, one can think about some of the potential solutions to solving some of those issues. And I want to get your take on some of them. So for example, you know, have people looked at providing transportation as a way of mitigating those disparities or building quality uh, health resources in rural communities? Or did you find that particularly during the COVID-19 pandemic, when many services moved to telemedicine, that that really helped with some of those geographic disparities? Talk to us a little bit about some of the, the solutions that you see or potentially some of the things to be concerned about um, when thinking about solutions? I, I think all the things that you just discussed are on the table. It's not as simple as providing transportation. For example, if you have um, radiation delivered four or five hours away from where the patient lives, even if you have transportation, it's not possible to have someone transported for daily treatments. Um, so I think there is definitely a push towards decentralization of cancer care as a way of making sure that everyone can get quality care and it's not going to be limited by transportation difficulties. Then um, I think COVID has provided us with so many new avenues to deliver better care? Is it really necessary for someone to come in once a week uh, to be examined? Probably not. We now have uh, televisits or video visits. I do some video visits as part of my regular practice for people that um, are perhaps mobility impaired or um, don't have transportation because so much of what we do in medicine is really by obtaining history and not physical examination. Clinical trials, that's a whole nother area. They are so labor intensive. One of my um, real interests is trying to increase inclusivity in clinical trials. Well, if you make a working person come in once a week to see a physician when they need to uh, still have a job, you're saying it can't happen. But with telemedicine, if we incorporate that into some clinical trials, there's no reason for someone to come in if they've had CAT scans a day before. What am I going to find on exam that they didn't find on the scans? So there's so much redundancy and um, I would say misappropriation of our resources. So certain areas are under-resourced, but there are also certain areas that are over-resourced. And we really, uh, by equitable distribution and by using some of our new technology, we have many avenues to really um, level the playing field. Yeah. You know, the you can certainly see how telemedicine has revolutionized that. But I think, you know, the one potential thorn in the side of telemedicine is 
lack of access to the basics of telemedicine. So populations who may not have access to a computer or may not have access to the internet. Have you found that that um, has exacerbated disparities in, in the setting of telemedicine? You know, there's this whole digital divide. We're lucky in the state of Connecticut that I think um, at a very high level that was looked at early on in COVID to try to provide um, broadband access to underserved communities. That's not true in every state, but that doesn't mean it can't be true in every state. And I am amazed at how many people, uh, even if they don't have a computer, they may have a smartphone or they may have a grandchild with a smartphone. Um, younger uh, younger uh, people are a great resource in helping their elderly relatives get through a visit. And I am really impressed. Uh, when we first started doing this, it was very, very difficult for many people. And they would say, can we just do a telephone visit instead? And people have, uh, you know, really upped their game, um, whether it's with help of family members, with smartphones, I think our own staff, and I'm not talking about the medical staff, I'm talking about the support staff. They are amazing in being able to talk people um, through getting on a video visit. And, uh, you know, the access doesn't have to be a Mac computer. It really can be a cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. So lots to talk about in terms of uh, disparities in oncology. We have to take a short break for a medical minute, but please stay tuned to learn more with my guest, Dr. Andrea Silber. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, dedicated to advancing options and providing hope for people living with cancer. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. It's estimated that over 240,000 men in the U.S. will be diagnosed with prostate cancer this year, with over 3,000 new cases being identified here in Connecticut. One in eight American men will develop prostate cancer in the course of his lifetime. Major advances in the detection and treatment of prostate cancer have dramatically decreased the number of men who die from the disease. Screening can be performed quickly and easily in a physician's office using two simple tests, a physical exam, and a blood test. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital, where doctors are also using the Artemis machine, which enables targeted biopsies to be performed. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Andrea Silber. We're learning more about her work in tackling disparities in oncology. And right before the break, Andrea, we were talking a lot about geographic disparities, the fact that, you know, where you live, uh, whether in a rural center or an urban center, can really impact uh, your care. The other thing that I think has been well studied, and, and maybe you could address this further, is socioeconomics uh, really does play a critical role. And whether that is admixed in with race and, and ethnicity, whether that is mixed in with 
geography, uh, or insurance status, educational status, um, immigration status, uh, that, that a lot of healthcare access and quality has to do with your pocketbook. Um, talk a little bit about that and um, the effect that socioeconomic status has on people's health and perhaps what's been what people are thinking about doing about that. Well, there are so many ways that socioeconomic status um, really determines health. We can see that your zip code, where you live, is one of the biggest prognostic factors for how you're going to do with your cancer care. And people who live in poor housing, if you move them to a different neighborhood, they have a better prognosis. And that has been looked at. Um, you can look at other things, correlation between credit score and how someone does with cancer. So I think it's well known and in many ways just obvious poor people uh, do not do better, who do not do as well um, with their cancer outcomes. But uh, let's talk a little bit more about what can happen with that. If you look ac across the United States, the states that do not have good access to Medicaid or to um, what is called Obamacare, statistically, they have a worse cancer burden and worse outcomes. So one fix would be to make sure that every state has equal access to Medicaid um, and low-cost Healthcare. I don't know whether that's going to happen, I, but it really is something that would change the landscape. Um, in terms of immigration status, that's a hard one because we know people who are undocumented do not have the same access to, to care. But the other things in terms of socioeconomic status that doesn't have to do with insurance, it has to do with how people live. Poor people do not have the same access to good, healthy diets, to exercise. We know obesity is a strong risk factor Um for many kinds of cancer. So if we don't provide good diets, if we don't provide exercise opportunities um, to poor children, poor adults, we are going to see it downstream in the kinds of cancers we have. So these are different kinds of programs. And I know we talked in the beginning a little bit about race and ethnicity, but there is certainly a lot of work that shows that um, we have a healthcare system where the providers are mainly white. Um, and the poor patients that we see are often people of color. And we have to change that to make uh, a health systems to try to reduce the bias that is there. Uh, we can find studies that show that 
White providers are less likely to spend the same amount of time with black patients. Well, when you get into an area like cancer, where it's very, very complicated, um, treatments are complicated, explanations are complicated, we need to have something to allow everyone to understand what is happening to their bodies. When I see um, a someone from a socioeconomically um, depressed background, I try to think, how can I explain things in a way that everyone understands? Well, that takes time. And our time um, in the healthcare system is money. I think that's one way that this kind of work is somewhat disincentivized because um, providers are evaluated in various healthcare systems by how many patients they see. Well, if they see a patient who maybe isn't medically sophisticated, it may take a longer time to explain um, the treatment, to explain to people what is cancer. I, I tell people, you know, when I say I'm a medical oncologist, not everyone knows what that means. It takes time because it is important to our healthcare system that we do deliver equitable care. But that's not true for every healthcare system. I almost think that someone who is not health literate, they should have a qualifier for billing purposes to make sure that people get the time they need and that the providers who do that kind of work are not penalized for doing the right thing by a patient. So, so again, lots, lots to dig into. I, I think the first issue is with regards to insurance. Um, you mentioned that the states that don't have Medicaid or don't have Obamacare um, tend to have worse outcomes. I wonder whether that's because those states may have a higher proportion of individuals who um, may be, you know, working class, um, blue collar uh, workers who um uh, don't uh, support, uh, you know, expansion of, of social programs in that way who may lean a little bit more towards the right of the political aisle. Um, so how much of that do you think is driven by the fact that having universal coverage, uh, healthcare coverage, um, is provided, how much of the outcome is due to that versus how much of the outcome is due to the fact that these people may be just by virtue of being, you know, a little bit poorer, a little bit less educated, how much of it is that and not mediated by the insurance coverage in and of itself? I think the insurance coverage is the major issue. Yes, there may be political differences or educational differences, but the insurance um, is so out of reach for many people. Even with great insurance, cancer can bankrupt anybody. It is a really expensive diagnosis. The medications are expensive. 
Um, the out-of-pocket costs are expensive. Legislation that has been proposed to try to decrease out-of-pocket costs for everyone. It's key that those, um, that kind of legislation is enacted because even if you might say, well, if someone votes differently, they could have better coverage or uh, better access to Medicaid in the state. But these medications, these diagnoses, particularly with personalized medicine, uh, get into an unbelievable amount of expense. And we need to think of a way in this country that Everyone does have a safety net and ability to pay for their medications. Yeah. I mean, because it, it's quite true that, uh, as you say, even if you have great insurance, um, the, the diagnosis of cancer can be medically bankrupting. And, um, and so I, I worry as well about the people who may not qualify um, for Medicaid, um, but who may also not have insurance or may not have great insurance. Maybe they're working three different part-time jobs and barely, uh, scraping together enough to get by. Um, they may not qualify for Medicaid and yet they, they may find the premiums or the deductibles on other insurance, uh, coverages to be quite high. So given all of that, do you think that, you know, some of the policies that have been talked about in the past, um, universal coverage, universal Medicare, do you think that that's the answer to solving some of the disparities that we see? Um, you know, I hope that some of these solutions are going to be maybe not the answers, but at least um <laughs> answering part of the major problems that are out there. Yeah, I do think we need to have an universal healthcare coverage, but I also think we have to get our nation healthier in so many ways. And it's not just a question of coverage. It's a question of valuing health, valuing health for everybody, starting early to making sure that when someone is born, um, they are given opportunity to live a healthy life. And it takes more than just insurance coverage to do that. Yeah, uh, It has to do with educational policies. It has to do with housing policies. It has to do with belief systems. And, you know, we are in a time that is a time of great turmoil and a time of a lot of division. But I think all of us agree that fundamentally everyone deserves uh, the best options with their cancer care. And, uh, and I think we have to be very nimble and, and maybe, again, reallocate some of our resources. There are areas that are over-resourced. Um, does everyone need a scan every eight weeks? Do people with good insurance need a scan every eight weeks when it means that there's someone out there who can't, you know, pay for their insulin? 
you can't treat cancer if someone's diabetes can't be controlled because they can't uh, pay for their insulin. I, I think we all agree that the system needs a lot of work and that there are many, many smart people out there and many ideas um, that are going to be helpful. I think the time has come not to just point out the disparities. Um, there's a lot of literature out there that points out the disparities, but we really have to talk about solutions and we need to try solutions. Dr. Andrea Silber is a professor of clinical medicine and medical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital and AstraZeneca.